Job chapter 1. I want to encourage all of you who are here this morning that may not have become members of Grace Church of Mentor. Uh, next Sunday morning, if you would like to become more familiar with our church and who we are, I'll be leading uh, a new Connections Fellowship Hour. It's something new we've not done before. Years ago, we had a fellowship gathering called New Connections, and we met at people's homes and had the opportunity to fellowship together with folks who are newer to our church family. We're probably going to do that again, too, but we would like to start during the Bible study hour. Now, that's on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. We'll have our own classroom, our own... I guess if I'm going to lead it, I'll have to determine what food and beverage we're going to have, but it'll be good. And uh, we can sit down together and, and uh, fellowship together and learn more about what the Lord's doing here among our church family and uh, within our community through our church family too. So if you're interested in that, uh, please let me know. Um, and we'll contact you this week directly. And it doesn't matter if you're a first-time guest today or whether you've been coming for a while, if you'd like to get to know our church more personally. And time for Q&A, just a good time of fellowship. I look forward to uh, having that time with you all beginning next week. We'll do that for about four weeks straight, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do from there. Our goal is to have a, a group fellowship together at the end of that four weeks, and that'll either be at our home, uh, and Rhonda and I would love to have you over, or here at the church, uh, but we'll figure that out as we go along. But we'll have a nice group gathering together where you can come and meet some other folks here in the church at the end of those four weeks as well, okay? Uh, so we look forward to having you uh, next Sunday morning at nine o'clock. You can let me know, one of the pastors know, um, I believe there was supposed to be a sign-up in the lobby for that. If there's not, that doesn't matter. You can still contact the office, and we'll give you information on that uh, this week. Okay? I want to thank Pastor, Steve, Pastor Mike for praying for Nick and Carrie this morning, and also praying for their family members who are here among us even this morning uh, as, they, as they hurt for them. For those of you who are newer as well, I know it's in the folder that you were handed this morning coming in. Two other opportunities for you get to get to know our church family in addition to that new connections next Sunday morning at 9. We have a, what we call a cabin fever dinner. I believe that's coming up at the end of this month. Take a look at that folder as to the date and the time. It's a great time just to get together and fellowship. Um, a number of the uh, folks that participate in our public worship, encouraging our hearts on Sunday mornings and music, will be there that night and encourage us through music. Uh, but that's going to happen right here in the auditorium. We set up the whole auditorium as kind of a banquet room. Um, so take a look at that Cabin Fever annual fellowship. We'd love to have you come to that uh, as well. And another new opportunity for you we like to study the Bible here. It's a Monday night, women's Bible study, a Tuesday morning, women's Bible study, Tuesday evening, men's Bible study, in addition to 
who you're studying with personally, as we study God's word publicly. Uh, keep your eyeballs on that information too in the Sunday morning folder that you've been handed. And um, I wish I could tell you it was going to be 70 degrees the rest of the week. It is today. We'll absorb the warmth as we have it. And um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be up and down until spring is in full swing, but that's okay. We'll keep persevering as we go. Now, my wife said last night, she said, you know, we were working in the yard together. We were all over the place yesterday taking advantage of the warm weather. And uh, I was cleaning out a little window pit on the side of our house that always gets full of leaves. And boy, they were really wet and gunky. Uh, she never climbs down in that hole, but I do. And uh, she's a great boss at that time. <laughs> Just when it comes to cleaning out that pit, I'm glad to help. Um, and she says, you know, you're going to really have to preach a home run of a sermon tomorrow. I was like, yeah, I know. And she goes, you know, every time there's that first warm Saturday of the year, everybody's out doing what we're doing. And how do you already feel after a long day's of work? I said, I'm toast. I could go to bed right now. And she goes, yeah, that's the way they're going to feel in the morning. <laughs> so she said, do you have a home run prepared? I said, well, <sighs> I'll do my best to keep you awake. Job chapter 1, and uh, thank you for being here, even though I'm sure that you're weary physically. And uh, Let's read uh, Job chapter 1 and the first couple of verses here uh, together that you've become familiar with, especially those of you who have read through the whole book, not just once, a number of times since we started a little over a month ago. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's where we'll end this morning. Because we have a baptism to come, we'll continue this description of this person, Job, this godly man, Job, next week. What I want us to understand, and we certainly sang about it this morning in our hymns, everything was selected so appropriately uh, this morning to prepare our hearts for God's word and you've instructed each other well along what we're going to preach in song. I want us to remember and understand that all who are godly do suffer. All who are godly do suffer. And we, ex we suffer in extreme ways. Over the years, there's a lot of texts and phone calls that come to us as pastors, and we'll just highlight a few here. Someone that was shaving one morning and comes across a, a bump on their neck that they didn't notice even the morning before when they were shaving, and that bump turns out to be something that was terminal in that man's life. Someone else calls and says, boy, pastor, I just had a back pain on the way home from work yesterday and 
just thought it was the typical back pain and it didn't go away. So I just went to the chiropractor and the chiropractor said, this isn't normal back pain. You need to see your doctor. And in short order, they're told that they're not going to be on this earth very long. Sudden extreme heartaches like this happen all the time to godly people. Some of you have had a call from local police or maybe law enforcement from out of town to inform you that a family member, maybe a spouse or a child, has been suddenly killed in a car accident. Folks, just last week, friends of mine in the Ukraine, their children were called because their God-fearing father and mother, a pastor and his wife, just outside of Kiev, were hit by a Russian missile and killed just driving through town. Godly people suffer, don't they? Pastor Mike prayed about that this morning. We sang about that today as well. Would you hold your finger here in Job chapter 1 and go over to Hebrews chapter 11? For those of you who are newer uh, to the Lord and to his word, Hebrews chapter 11, for those who have been in the Lord for a long time, is a is a blessed passage of Scripture because it speaks of Christian people in the Old Testament who persevered well by faith. By faith. As you read through Hebrews chapter 11 on your own, I think it would be really wise for all of us to know that faith always walks forward regardless of the trial that it endures just kind of go through that. I was reading this chapter again this week. It was a great blessing to me. That, that's just what faith does. It, it moves forward. But if you'll look with me at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and of the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection and others were, and here's the adversative part, what we just read sounds like, well, those are great heroes of the faith. But these folks were equally heroes of the faith. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, but God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, it would not be made perfect. 
All who are godly suffer. Faithful people endure life's most intense ordeals and hardships. They are more than just speed bumps of difficulty. They can be life-altering, even life-ending afflictions, and we know this. You as godly people know this because, well, you've prepared yourselves for it. Knowing suffering is unavoidable, and it's a reality for each of us who faithfully serve the Lord. Anything short of this understanding that the godly suffer could give way to all sorts of poor doctrine. If not addressed, it could even lead to the false teaching of the prosperity gospel that teaches an unbiblical notion that if you are godly, God owes you good. He owes you health, wealth, and prosperity. But we should embrace what this godly person once said. Religion that is not rooted in the objective self-revelation of God is no more a solution to our suffering than a narcotic that alters our perception of reality. So religion can be salty, cleverly demised, and even humanly successful addiction. And that can be our reality if our faith is not rooted in the objective self-revelation of God. As we know for Job, his right thinking about God based on the revelation from God humbled him and adjusts his attitude towards his experience and toward the God of his experiences. Another author said, what comforts Job is the theos of his theology, the God of his theology. What satisfies Job is God himself. Job's testimony reminds me of Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, where Paul says that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, that I may know him. Principles and promises of Scripture do aid us. As Pastor Mike prayed earlier, when God doesn't offer explanation, he gives us promises. They do aid us. But they do not minister to people in pain as much as the God of the principle and the promise can. The person of God comforts effectually. When you're in so much pain, your mind isn't working to even contemplate or meditate on the promise. God's there. Just this morning, talking to Nick in between Sunday school and the morning service. Carrie's mind's not working. She can't speak sentences. But the Spirit of God is within her, right? Groaning, interceding on her behalf with things she can't think or speak. God's there. 
Remember, my dear church family, Job did not have a Bible to carry around like you and me. He does feast on what he knows of God's words. We've already referenced Job 23, 12, where he says, I have not departed from the commandment of God's lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But Job loved and knew God and then consequently enjoyed his word. We do the same now. Just having a full word of God in printed form with us today. Truly, friends, if we're not careful, our faith and our church experience can become a most hollow and lifeless experience if it becomes removed from a personal relationship with God through Christ himself. One of the authors I'm studying in the book of Job uh, quotes Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you understand the affliction that she's endured in her lifetime. I think she said something quite notable in relationship to suffering. She said, God must be the center of things. He must be the center of even our suffering. God doesn't give advice. He gives himself. In the end of the day, he is the only answer that ultimately matters. The only one who can fill and satisfy the suffering soul. This is not a matter of finding God or finding where God fits into the picture. He is the picture. He's not a missing piece of our lives which once found can be bolted into place so our spiritual lives can run efficiently and smoothly. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, Christ is our life. So the story of Job about a relationship between God and man and man fleshing that earthbound relationship out with him and his heavenly father is real. It's a story of how God and his people relate and interact in the rough and tumble real life of our fallen world. And godly people do suffer. So I think it's good for us to examine how Job's godliness is described by our author. We read that very short description here already this morning. What kind of a Christian is prepared to have suffering appointed to them by their loving, unchanging creator? What kind of Christian is prepared? To have suffering appointed to them by their loving, unchanging creator. We know from being able to see behind the curtain of Job's life that Job was the kind of a person who was ready for appointed suffering. His understanding of his Lord had developed him into the kind of man that he was and the kind of man that he was known to be. So it's prudent for us to know that there was a time where he spiritually developed and was prepared to be afflicted to the degree that he was. There are two adjectives and two verbs used here to describe Job's life. The two adjectives are that he was blameless and that he was upright. Let's explain those words this morning. Blameless does not mean sinless. Sinless. 
said, Pastor Tim, well, that's, that's pretty elementary. So just, just know that Christians throughout the millennia of human history have always struggled, including Job's friends in the book, all the way to the book of James in chapter 5 in a New Testament context. Christians have always struggled with wondering when God's people suffer if it's not because of their sin. But godly people do suffer. People who are blameless suffer, not people who are sinless. The Hebrew word here means wholeness or integrity. So Job's not viewed by his faith community or even his public community as sinless, but sound. He was to be trusted both by his family and his friends, by both who lived with him and those who lived around him. The text says that he was upright. Now, in a modern-day 21st century context like ours, this would have just simply meant he's on the level. He's on the level. He's a quality man. The Hebrew word here is yashar. It simply means that the way Job lived his fallen life was on the level with the character of God. Anyone that knew him well would have known his flaws, but have mostly known him as a person whose default line, if you will, his greatest common denominator was the person and character of God himself. That's a brief description by way of adjectives that define Job's life among men. But now let's consider the two verbs that also actively describe his growth in godliness. The text says that he feared God and that he turned away from evil. What does it mean to fear God? There are over 100 mentions of fearing God in the Old Testament and a handful in the New Testament. To fear God is to live in wonder of who he is to the point it affects that you, the way you live. That's why Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not just the inward awe of his greatness, but it's the outward expression of his godness in our lives, one author said. To fear God is to be aware that he is interested in all that we are and all that we do. To fear God is to know God. To know God is to live his character while we exist in these imperfect frames. If we remember some of our introductory material, Job is among or could be the earliest writer of the Bible. So as far as we know, the book of Job may be the first mention of what it means to fear God in Christian history. Thousands of years later, as we've already said, New Testament Writers highlighted the virtue and value of fearing God. There was a husband and wife in Acts chapter 5 that were known as fearing God and they walked away from him. There were tremendous consequences to their ceasing to fear God and it affected the way they lived 
and the consequences brought upon their life caused all around them who thought they were godly to be in fear when their ungodliness was exposed. Fear of God in what in relationship to what? Not his judgment, but the way they lived. The way they lived. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, for those of you that know your Bibles well, for some of you that are newer to Christ, there's coming a time in the future when the Lord returns that every one of you is going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what's called the Bema Seat Judgment. At that Bema Seat Judgment, you are complete in Christ. You've already been granted His presence for all of eternity. But in that moment... It's going to be a judgment. You can read 2 Corinthians 5 on your own. But the writer, Paul, says, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. The fear of the Lord in relationship to what? Not just his character, but also in the way you live. There's a lot of God that we know of his person that influences the way we live. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. That's why Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It would probably be good for us to read 1 Peter chapter 1 on your own time if you want to cross-reference this here in relationship to fear. Begin in verse 13. Go on down through verse 17 you'll find out that the fear of the Lord does lead to wisely living life. We always say, you really shouldn't say you're saved until you have a changed life by the grace of God in Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God, and when we are placed into him and indwelt by the Spirit of God, we pursue that which is holy because God himself is holy. Job was known as a man who turned away from evil turned away from evil as well how do I describe this years ago I grew up in a home that was used to be out here in this little grassy area um, it was an old home um, I, I think we know of these underground places as basements now um, some finished some unfinished back then uh, we referred to them as kids, as cellars uh, in, our, in our home dungeons. Okay. No, my parents didn't send us down there for punishment, <laughs> but it was nonetheless a dungeon to me. This was a dark place, not well lit. It was a damp place, very musty smelling. But it happened to be the place where my parents stored all of our canned goods from the efforts in our garden. None of us ever wanted to be told, hey, Tim, I need some tomatoes for the pasta. I need you to go to the basement and get me some tomatoes. Yeah, I was a big fifth and sixth grader for my age. But inside of me, I was still very small even through the fifth and sixth grade. 
going down those steps, which was right by the kitchen where my mom was close by, scared me to death. I used to think that the sub pump could kill me. <laughs> You're going down the steps, it's dark, the very one little light, I, I swear there, there had to be like a five watt bulb, right? <laughs> Seemed like it back then, right? You turn it on, thanks dad, appreciate the guidance with the light. Smells dark, listening for noises, I go, I creep so whoever was down there wouldn't hear me. Right? I grab the tomatoes off the shelf. I go back upstairs. And boy, that sub pump. <laughs> that was today with my 54-year-old heart. I'm not sure I'd come out of that dungeon alive. <laughs> this kind of describes the understanding of the Hebrew word for turning away from evil. It literally means to recoil or be frightened by evil. Job was able to fear God and be frightened by evil because he knew the true character of both. He knew God, but he also was familiar with his own fallenness. We need to understand that when we are afraid of evil, it's not a sign of immaturity. It's a strong indication that you are growing in your understanding of who God really is. As the Apostle John says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. One godly writer said, he is holy, set as other and set apart from that which is evil. And he has called us to be holy. Job would have been a man whose wife and children would know him as a man of integrity. Job's closest friends would herald him as a man that did the right thing when no one was looking because he knew God is always interested in the private as well as the public moments of any believer's life. He was a man who lived righteously. This is a man that in the New Testament context would have been described by Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. What does a God-fearing life look like? Well, in one of Paul's prayers, he actually describes what a God-fearer looks like. He's someone who is to be prayed for that they would grow in love and in knowledge and in discernment and in excellence. That was certainly the example of Job's life. These descriptions of Job's character, one author said, is an impressive accumulation of epithets to indicate that Job was a model of excellence, a blameless, wholehearted servant of God who failed in none of his duties to men. Job is described this way by the author of the book more than once and in similar ways, and the explanation of Job's character does sound quite superlative, doesn't it? His walk with God and his private and public integrity would then become the bullseye of the target for Satan and his forces. Job's friends, in their own way, in time, also seek to pick apart Job's life 
piece by piece and seek to unearth vice in Job's life in order to justify their claim that God is judging him for his sin. But Job's godly. Godly people suffer. The Lord allows us, the reader, to know and have established early that Job is godly so we all know that godly people do indeed endure intense degrees of affliction. They suffer in extreme ways. Make no mistake, Job was a sinner. We're careful to preach the right character descriptions that are in the text of the Bible here in Job 1 because Job is not known for the sinner that we all know that we are. He's known for the godliness that he lives. And he lives godly because he knows God. So armed with the divine understanding of Job's character, knowing that Job lives godly and is known for that, we must still understand that those around him still claimed God was disciplining him for sin in his life. And my friends, for a godly man, there's nothing more defeating, demoralizing, damaging, and discouraging than to have that happen to you. Our church family here does an amazing job ministering to those who are afflicted and suffering in our midst. I believe the majority of you lovely people here care for those who suffer because you assume they're godly and you assume they're walking with the Lord. And when you love and care like that, you are doing the will of God unto the godly. As you love like that, you understand spirit-indwelt friends among us who suffer are also spirit-filled. Therefore, they enjoy the company of God themselves, the word of God themselves, the people of God themselves, and the purpose of God themselves. These truths are not assumptions. They are realities of those who suffer as they walk with God. So when we walk with them through suffering, know they want help knowing God more as they struggle with their own humanity. As we will certainly see Job did throughout his suffering. So yes, Job was a sinner, but he did not live a sinful lifestyle even for a short while. And God appointed suffering to him because he was righteous and living righteously. So continue to be caring. Continue to be loving as you all are. And I say, again, I don't think, you know, when I say statements like this, people say, Pastor Tim, you need to stop talking so highly about your own church. It sounds kind of arrogant. I, if, if that's the way they want to hear it, I think those people have other issues. It's okay for me to compliment you. The writers of scripture complimented churches they wrote to, right? I don't know of another church personally that loves and cares for its own like you folks do. So that's a very deep and wide and meaningful ways. So keep on keeping on. As Paul said to the Thessalonian church, you love each other well because you're taught of God how to love only what? Increase more and more, right? 
increase more and more. But as you continue to care, let's be cautious too. Very cautious about micromanaging each other's flaws when the people who are suffering are known for being godly. Know that the very nature of God within them, the word of God they enjoy, and the purpose of God they live will by grace compel them to keep growing in Christ's likeness as they overcome in Christ that which they already are known to be sinners. And that's what they know themselves to be. Godly people do suffer. You saying earlier this morning, and everyone with tender heart forgiving others take your part, ye who long pain and sorrow bear, sing praise, and on God cast your care. You also sang, God of the ages, history's maker, planning our pathway, holding us fast, Shaping in mercy all that concerns us. Father, we praise you, Lord of the past. God of this morning, gladly your children worship before you, trustingly bow. Teach us to know you, always among us, quietly sovereign, Lord of our now. God of our tomorrow, Strong overcomer. Princes of darkness, own your command. What then can harm us? We are your people, now and forever, kept by your hand. Lord of past ages, Lord of this morning, Lord of the future, help us, we pray. Teach us to trust you, Love and obey you. Crown you each moment, Lord of today. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, in our finite minds, would never claim to fully grasp that which your infinite person knows. But by faith, we can entrust ourselves, as 1 Peter 4.19 says, to a faithful creator while we continue to do good things. We thank you that we are able to live your character because we know your son. We've been placed into him and indwelt by your spirit. We've been gifted your word. We've been gifted your people. And we've been gifted with your purpose. And while we enjoy all these things by your grace, we still know that we're broken, but we seek to grow. As we know you, help us, Lord, as we increase in our knowledge of you to know by your grace the reality of your character to be lived in our lives. And as we continue to live this way, and perfectly so, as your people by your grace, may our love for one another, especially those who suffer, increase more and more. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.